It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We hope you had a lovely bank holiday weekend. It wasn't the best weather-wise, I have to say. It was uh, quite nice, but certainly Saturday and yesterday was just a total and absolute washout. The good news is that Met Aaron are telling us that Ireland's fine weather is due to a bounce back and uh, temperatures in some parts of the country today are actually going to hit 23 degrees. We're expecting here around Munster, though, around the 20 degree mark, but it could go as high as uh, 23 degrees in some er- some areas. And Met Aaron say that this settled weather that we're heading into is thanks to a high pressure zone that's slowly going to dominate Irish weather and they're expecting it'll stick around for the next three weeks. Now we do have cloudy conditions today and those scattered showers but some of those sunny spells will start to break through this afternoon. There's going to be a mixture of sunny spells and light showers for tomorrow but again temperatures starting to rise. Thursday is going to be dry from most of the day just isolated showers but they're going to be predominantly in the west and that Erin are saying the current indications suggest that the high pressure will continue to build into next weekend leading to mostly settled conditions. Bring it on. I hear you uh, cry as we are now into August. It will be lovely if we got some nice, fine, sunny weather for the whole month of August, particularly while the children are, or the schools are out for summer and they haven't had the best weather. Just odd days here and there. So it will be nice to have a bit of an extended period of fine weather. John Paul's taking your calls this morning at 0818 103 103. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. Any, anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. And just to let you know that later on, you are in, one lucky listener is in with a chance of winning tickets to go to the Everyman. Their summer show this year is Letters of a Country Postman. Now, this is a book that was written by John B. Keane and it is running in the Everyman from Friday the 5th. That is this coming Friday and it's running practically throughout the month of August, wrapping up on Saturday the 27th of August. Now, we not only have a pair of tickets for the winner, but every day this week, a lucky listener will win a pair of tickets, but also you get to go for a meal before heading off to the Everyman. Now, the tickets that we have to see Letters of a Country Postman is Thursday the 18th of August. And what I always say to people is please only enter if you're available to go on that night. And today, for example, you'll get your tickets to the Everyman and the winner will also get a meal for two at Gallagher's Gastro Pub 
and then off to see. So you get your dinner before the meal and then off to the Everyman to see Letters of a Country Postman. And Letters of a Country Postman, of course, it's around a humorous fictional account of the exploits of a postman in rural Ireland. Hilarious from start to uh, finish. And we will be giving those tickets away a little bit later on today. And how we will do it is every day this week, I'll have a different question around the works and the life of John B. Keane. Okay, so if you're a John B. Keane fan, you should have no problem at all answering the question. So we'll give that to you a little bit later on, but your chance to win. And if you'd like to book tickets for Letters of a, of a Country Postman, you can go to the everyman.com for further details. 0818103103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls, and we will be talking in a couple of minutes about Sabina Higgins, the wife of our wonderful president, Michael D. Higgins, and this letter that she wrote to the Irish Times, critical of a piece they had done about the war on Ukraine. Uh, and we and she was saying that if they negotiated, if they both sat down, both presidents sat down and negotiated they could hopefully come up with some kind of peace. And there's been a lot of criticism of Sabina Higgins with many people saying her stance is very naive. So we will be talking about that. But I've already seen uh, seen on our Twitter feed that Norma points out that both the Pope and the President of Turkey, and the President of Turkey, by the way, is the guy who just led the successful agreed grain agreement between Ukraine and Russia with the UN. They both called for peace talks. So Sabina Higgins isn't the only person, is Norma's point, to come out and say, why don't they sit down and try to negotiate a peace. And of course, while all this war is going on, we're housing so many Ukrainian refugees in this country and everybody accepts dreadful what's happening to the people of Ukraine and they've been very much welcomed into this country. But our big problem at the moment is we have a housing crisis and people are constantly asking how much is it costing the state to accommodate the Ukrainian refugees. Well, people will be interested to hear that figures have just been uh, released. Now, they've been released by the Department of Integration, who obviously are responsible for the housing of the refugees when they arrive in this country. And in total, the government have agreed contracts worth 99.3 million euro. Now, that's on not just on accommodation, it's on the ancillary services, you know, things like catering, cleaning, the laundry for the hotels and guest houses around the country. And it's all come out because the tender documents have been published by the Department of Integration. 90 contracts have been signed as the go- as the government now are continuing to scramble to try to uh, secure as much accommodation as they can. At the moment, about 32,000 Ukrainian refugees require accommodation from the uh, state. Of course, last week we heard that the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, that had been used to temporarily house around 100 refugees before they were moved on to other accommodation. And of course, the government has reached out to the, the GAA, all sporting bodies, relig- religious organisations and asking them, do they have any temporary accommodation for uh, Ukrainians? Councils are also looking for any properties they have. They're looking at pro- properties on our offshore islands to try to see if they can accommodate uh, Ukrainians, particularly those that are currently li- living in student accommodation. The clock is really ticking on the refugees that are in student accommodation because come about the middle of this month to the third week in this month, they will have to vacate the student accommodation so that it can be got ready for the students who will be moving in to go to college and third level education 
from September. So there's a big, big problem at the moment trying to find accommodation for the Ukrainian city west. Of course, they've been acting as a hub for arrivals who've been coming into Dublin airport and into Dublin port and they've been staying there before they're moved on uh, elsewhere. So the contracts for City West so far the government have paid 2.45 million was the first contract and then there was a second contract of 8.34 million. So you can see the whole of City West has been used just to house Ukrainian refugees. Now locally there's six Cork locations have provided accommodation and other services according to Sean Murray in today's Irish Examiner. Now it includes Weddings by Frank and that's to do with the property that Weddings by Frank has in Formoy. They've been obviously housing Ukrainian refugees 622,000 euro. The Munster Arms Hotel has received contracts to the value of €294,000. The Drimmer League Inn, €245,000. The Dutch Tulip in Mallow, uh, just under half a million euro. And then Trebalgan Holiday Centre, €4.4 million. But the highest of all of the Cork locations has been the Quality Hotel in Yall. That was transformed into what was called a care centre for Ukrainian refugees and the state contract to Yall's Quality Hotel has been 12.5 million uh, euro. Now, over three quarters of the 45,000 refugees that have arrived into Ireland since the end of February, uh, over three quarters have needed accommodation from the states. That's that figure of 32,000 came up and the government are modelling everything and looking for further further accommodation. They're modelling it on up to 50,000 people are expected to have arrived by the end of this month. And a spokesperson for the government said in light of the continued significant numbers of people coming here, the department now is contracting all forms of accommodation and they're particularly mindful of potentially significant numbers that may still arrive. And I think this is one of the problems that the government and the various departments have. They never know from one day to the next how many Ukrainians are going to arrive and of the ones that arrive, how many are going to look for accommodation at this stage? I think they can assume that any of the ones seeking refuge in this country will be looking for accommodation because it was in the very early days of the war when people fled Ukraine and they had family members living here. So they had a place to stay. But certainly since since that, those that are arriving now are people who have no contact, no they don't know anybody here in Ireland that they can stay with. So they are going to look to the state. So there's certainly... There will be a lot of headaches for the department in trying to secure accommodation. So let's see which of the sporting bodies are going to be able to come up with any kind of temporary uh, accommodation. And obviously there are hopes that hotels and guest houses and B&Bs once the summer season is finished, once we move into September and the hotels and the B&Bs quieten down, that they may then be available and they may be able to house Ukrainian refugees and sign up for some of those contracts. But that's the, the, the figure because I know we're constantly getting calls in from people saying how much is it costing at the state on the accommodation uh, side, 993 million, just under 1 billion euro so far on contracts for accommodation and the ancillary services that go with it. Okay, some of your thoughts and comments coming into 
the uh, program on the Ukrainian refugees and the num- the amount of money that the state has agreed in contracts for accommodation so far just under a billion uh, euro. Uh, Patricia, how many Ukrainians have other countries taken in? We seem to be the only one. We haven't houses for our own people. It's time for the government to call on other countries to put their shoulder to the wheel. Ireland is full, says uh, John. Well, John, we haven't. We're not the only country taking Ukrainian refugees. We're actually one of the, uh, I would say one of the lowest, well, not quite the lowest, but one of the lowest, the most that are going in Poland, obviously, are taking a huge amount, over a million, uh, 1.1 million Ukrainians have fled to Poland. Moldova is next. This was up to the start of July. They've taken over 82,000. Romania have taken over 83,000. Slovakia at nearly 80,000 people. And then there's also, but they, can, they, can never, they can't get an accurate figure on the number of Ukrainian refugees that have gone to uh, Russia. It's estimated to be around 1.4 million, but 5.2 million refugees have been displaced from Ukraine. And of course, not all of them have left Ukraine. A lot of the refugees have moved to a different part of Ukraine where the fighting isn't going on because remember they're war refugees and they want to go home or they want to stay as close to home as uh, they can. 0818103103 It's awful that we have this is Stephen Amato it's also that we have this war going on in Europe but is somebody making money out of this and then you hear of hotels receiving money are people making a profit on the back of the refugees I, no I, I wouldn't say so hotels have just been taken over and instead of having having guests who come in and pay to stay for a night or two the government instead they fix a price per night for the refugees which is normally less than what the hotel would charge for normal tourists say for example because the whole hotel is blocked booked so no I don't think anybody is uh, price gorging on it uh, for sure uh, just by the way on price gorging I did see a comment in from William in Mitchestown who was talking the Indie Festival went on in Mitchestown over the weekend and by all accounts it was a huge uh, success and everybody really enjoying themselves and people that went camping they had kind of two wet days and then they had the one good day on the on the Sunday but certainly it was a bit miserable there on well, Friday, Saturday was certainly not the best day to be out camping but Sunday was a lovely day but everybody went along to Indie by all accounts and the acts were all delighted with themselves and it was a, a great success but William in Mitchellstown noticed that a breakfast roll increased in price in some in some outlets in Mitchellstown and he says a normal breakfast roll is 4.50 it went up to 7.50 over the weekend which is outrageous many people from the festival were heading into Mitchellstown to buy their breakfast uh, rolls but the locals then got caught because they also had to pay uh, 7.50 that is outrageous you can't blame the war in Ukraine for this says William in Mitchellstown and doesn't that happen everywhere when there is a large event on prices go up and People make hay while the sun shines, but uh, William in Mitchellstown f- found it offensive to local people who might have wanted their breakfast roll at the weekend and they got caught with the additional charges. Kieran is in Clonakilty and he says what is worrying, and this is all about what's going on in Ukraine, is the fact that so much of our food supply is affected due to the fact that so much grain comes from Ukraine for the entire world, it would seem. Yeah, I, 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 I'll 
I'll check it if I can during the programme. If not, I'll check it afterwards. I don't know how much of the world's grain is produced in Ukraine, but it is a huge, huge amount for sure. Certainly a lot of the grain from Ukraine goes to Africa. And that was the reason why that deal had to be negotiated, because there is going to be starvation on a level that we've never seen before if we can't get the grain down into the horn of Africa. And that's what we saw happening at the weekend. Thank God that that did uh, happen. But Kieran is making the point, is this not extreme bad planning to have one country producing so much of the world grain? He says years ago, many Irish farmers would have grown barley, etc. We could we could produce our own grain. We need to go back to this method. We need to be self-sufficient. Ireland was so self-sufficient years ago, but now we seem to rely on so many other countries. Can I throw in sugar? We have to rely on other countries to get our sugar. But he says what is happening on a much more serious note is that people are suffering. So instead of agreeing with EU officials to scrap industries like the sugar industry, I didn't realise you were going to mention sugar, Karen. Can we not now go back to growing our own grain and barley, etc.? Well, I suppose we need the farming community to tell us is that possible? Could we actually produce enough that we would become self-sufficient? 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls. We are going to be talking in a couple of minutes about Sabina Higgins but I can already see some comments coming in on Sabina Higgins and this for all that she's found herself in the centre of. Uh, John O'Donovan thinks Sabina Higgins is uh, is right. I, he said everyone is talking about it but nobody is saying it in public that they need to sit down and negotiate did we not do similar in Ireland we had peace agreements over the years between Ireland and the UK and look at the north now at some stage peace has to come so I feel she's right in suggesting that the two presidents sit down and try to negotiate a peace deal you can't keep fighting forever at some point they're going to have to come together Uh, on the other hand the whole world is suffering when it comes to the effect that the war is having on the global economy and the food shortages so something needs to be done and Jerry and Bandon also thinks Sabina Higgins is just saying what everybody else is thinking why it would be hard while it would be hard for President Zelensky to negotiate and it wouldn't be easy how else will we achieve peace peace will never happen unless they sit down they will eventually have to sit down so she's only talking straight talk and saying what others are thinking. OK, let's take a break and we'll pick up on that after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. We are waiting to get our to line up our next um, uh, interview uh, and why we do. Let me see some of your comments coming in. John and Carrie Galine says, Patricia, I'm really looking forward to this year's budget to see what the government will give us, their people. We have a great government looking after everybody from other countries. But what they have to remember is charity starts at home. We have a long, long, tough winter ahead. And that's from John in Carrigaline. Now, as I mentioned last week, Michael D. Higgins' wife, Sabina, wrote to the Irish Times to criticise one of the newspaper's editorials on the war in Ukraine. In the letter, she said that the fighting would go on until the world persuades President Putin and President Zelensky to agree to a ceasefire and to negotiations. There's been a huge amount of criticism since, with some saying that it was a very naive stance by Sabina Higgins. Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, who is a former army ranger, joins me with his views on this. Good morning to Jared. Good morning and uh, good morning to your listeners. And you're very welcome. Do you believe Sabina Higgins was naive in her views? 
Um, well, I'd say at the outset, Sabina Higgins has no constitutional role in Ireland, and as a private citizen, she's entitled to state her views wherever she wants. They should not have any more pro- prominence than yours or mine or anybody else's. Uh, she was naive. The letter she wrote was naive in the extreme. The Ukrainians did not invite the Russians in to, to take over part of their country. And just like Irish people fought to uh, uh, win the right to our republic, uh, Ukrainians have the right to defend their own state. She's right insofar as at some stage there is going to have to be peace talks and the Russians are going to have to move back out of uh, Ukraine. But um, the fact that it appeared on the presidential website is the key here to the controversy. It should never have appeared. On yeah, the yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. As you say, she is a private citizen, so writing a letter to the paper that was fine. But uh, who's responsible for that going up on the Oris website? Well, this is the question that we've been asking, and most of us in politics are asking who, in fact, authorised for this to go up on the website. Anything the uh, president's wife says or does, or indeed any president's wife or partner uh, says or does, is of no interest whatsoever to the constitutional role of the president and should not... The the boundaries between the two should never, ever, ever be crossed. Uh, So we've asked, uh, a number of us have asked uh, President Higgins to come out and explain how this finished up on his website uh, as as the official view, if you want, of the uh, the Oris. Um, and the president has refused to do that thus far. He has put a spokesperson out to say uh, what he said yesterday regarding the support he has for Ukraine. But I'm afraid that's not good enough. Um, the, it, the people elected President Michael D. Higgins, they did not elect um, Mrs. Higgins. Mrs. Higgins has no role and therefore her letter should not have appeared on the president. And, and it, it has almost very quickly taken down when the criticism started. Yes, absolutely. And it, it would have remained there for quite some period of time if the criticism had not started. And one wonders, and the question that's been asked of me, was this the president's view by proxy? Um, uh, now, the statement yesterday from the Oris suggests that it was not, but we still don't know how it got onto the website. And yeah, and that, yeah, and that um, letter yesterday from or the spokesperson coming out didn't pay any reference to it. None whatsoever. It's like as if it didn't happen. Indeed, I, I, I met President Higgins yesterday at um, David Trimble's uh, funeral. Um, and again, <laughs> I know some journalists wanted to ask questions there yesterday, but he skedaddled out of there very, fairly quickly, not willing to take questions. Look, it's a difficult one. You can imagine if your partner or my partner made a public statement, uh, do, do, we st- do we stand over it if our statements thus far have been uh, in, in total odds to what our partner has said? It's a difficult one. Mm, uh, and, but- and then to have the letter praised by the Russian ambassador Yuri Filatov, that didn't help. Well, I mean, the moment Yuri Filatov came out and, and uh, praised that letter, um, it placed Ireland in a diplomatic um, crisis, in my view, uh, because we have been very strong as a country in saying we stand totally with Europe, and Europe has say, is saying they stand totally with Ukraine. If the uh, president of Ireland places something on his website which is at odds with that, 
then that is a crisis for the country. And I know from the diplomatic people that I meet here in Dublin, they will not be one bit pleased at the fact that this controversy was started. And while she wants peace, and, and God knows it's what, it's what everybody wants, I suppose in, in her letter as well, Jared, like she never identified who the aggressors in this war was. And, and therein lies the greatest problem uh, by by not uh, uh, acknowledging the fact that the Russians have inflicted the most horrendous crimes uh, on, on the Ukrainian people. Uh, it, this is where the naivety comes in. So we all want peace. Every single one of us want peace. But I would invite any of your listeners uh, to do what myself and Cahill Berry did. We didn't travel to Ukraine, but we travelled to the borders between Ukraine and Poland and to watch the pathetic sight of young mothers dragging little toddlers, suitcases, buggies, trying to get over the border, trying to get to safety. Uh, and now we have a situation, you know, people criticised me back in February when I said we'd have 40,000 Ukrainian refugees here. I believe now we'll have 70,000 by December if we don't stop uh, taking them. And what we're going to do with them, I don't know. But Sorry, just on that point, do you think we should stop taking them, put, in, put in a number on how many we can accept? I, I think we've got to we've got to step back from what we're doing right now and see how many more we can accept. You know, public opinion will swing very, very quickly against the Ukrainian people, and God help them, they don't want to be here any more than uh, they want to be anywhere else in the world. Most of them want to be at home in their own homes in their own uh, country. Sadly, their homes will take twenty years to rebuild. Uh, yes, I do think we need to. There's no point in bringing Ukrainian people here to put them in tents. Uh, with the winter coming. Uh, you know yourself, today is a summer's day, uh, or so we're told, and I'm looking out the window of my house right now and the wind is blowing and it's not that long since it rained. Uh, what must it be like to live in a tent? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For that. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, it's a great point. Brian in West Cork says, does Jared feel Sabina Higgins owes the people of Ukraine an apology for the letter? Uh, look, I mean, Brian has a point. Um I'm not sure that that would serve any purpose at this stage. I think what we need is we need a statement from Michael D. Higgins himself, uh, not some spokesperson, uh, which clarifies that the presidency stands four square behind government policy. And once we get that, I think that the matter should be allowed to die at that stage. Um, it was a, an error, which is a little bit hard take given the experience of the president in politics he's a long long time around and he knows the way the system works and it's it's very difficult to understand how that letter uh, uh, finished up on his website okay and just wearing your army ranger hat how do you see this war ending jared i think ultimately with the support of the West, if it continues, I think Putin will be beaten back across his own border. Um, I see the, the danger we have is that Putin himself will be destabilized in Russia and somebody will take him out in one way, either politically or, or, or through an assassination. But the problem is, who comes behind him then? Is it somebody who says, I can do a better job and take all of Ukraine? Hard to tell. But I don't see this war ending in the foreseeable future. I think we're going to see this rattle on for years. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Listen, Jared, I appreciate you taking our call this morning. Thank you for that.
And thank uh, you very thanks, much indeed. Uh, for joining us. That is independent uh, Senator Gerard uh, Crockwell, uh, believing that uh, Sabina Higgins was naive in her views in that letter uh, to the Irish Times and the fact as a as a private citizen, she's entitled to write a letter into the editor of the Irish Times, but it was when it went up on the Orsanuktaron website and then quickly taken down when criticism was received. And I think in particular when the Russian ambassador Yuri Filatov came out and welcomed the views of Sabina Higgins. I think that's when they realised they had a bit of a problem on their hands and it was taken down from the website post haste. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let's stay with the, the ongoing situation and the war in Ukraine because the authorities there have asked a Cork based voluntary group to help set up a rehabilitation hospital near their capital, Kiev, to treat people injured by the Russian invasion. And to chat about their plans, I'm joined by John Gilroy of the Crutches for Ukraine group. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And it's, it's great to talk to you. Firstly, I suppose, can you outline what your group has been doing for the people of Ukraine and this group, Crutches for Ukraine? Well, I suppose for the last three months, I suppose, we have been collecting uh, crutches, wheelchairs and other mobility aids. If you broke your leg, Patricia, God help us, and were sent into the CUH, you'd be given crutches. Mm. And you take them home and the HSE do not have a facility for you to return those crutches to is, them. Is that still going? It is. It certainly is. Okay. It certainly is. So we've we've um, identified this as a, a source of, uh, of mobility aids and we've matched it with a need um, in, in, in Ukraine. So we have collected uh, over 600 pairs of crutches. We've about 40 wheelchairs, um, walking frames, or 350 walking frames, um, canes, you know, all, all types of mobility aids. And these were just lying around people's <clears throat> houses? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, we've, and remarkably, we've collected these from a very small part of Cork, just around the Glanmire area, okay. the immediate area. So it just shows you the amount of medical equipment that is out there. Not being used? Not being used, exactly, uh, and and taking up space in people's houses and people are wondering what to do with them and people feel a bit guilty about recycling or dumping them or anything, so they they generally are in your attic or under your stairs or, or somewhere. So we've collected that number of, of, of items and we ship them to um, a Polish town called Minsk, Mazowiecki, which is 30 kilometres east of Warsaw. Okay. And we have a relationship with the mayor's office there. Um, he'll store them um, or take delivery of them and we have then contacts in the Ukrainian city of Baryanka. Uh, Baryanka is about 30 kilometres from Kiev, and you will remember it because it was one of the towns that Michal Martin visited when, mm-hmm. he, was, when he was out there. Where he, got, with, where he got very emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, there's a neighbouring town called Bucha, which the Russians had occupied and devastated, really. So last week, uh, last not the weekend just gone, the weekend before that, um, we delivered a truckload of, of stuff, about 22 tonnes of, of, of medical aid, not just our mobility aid, but when we had our lorry, we, we put our stuff in, we decided we had, there was plenty more room. So we got other um, other uh, items of, of, you know, humanitarian aid from the great John O'Connell out in, uh, in Ascara. He's a man that's doing tremendous humanitarian work quietly behind the scenes for years. So he, he filled up our truck and we went out there. So I, I, I went out, I flew out after the truck and I met the truck in um, Mazowiecki. Um, 
Mazowiecki has a relationship, a kind of a twinning, if we like, with, with the town of Baryanka in, in Kiev. So when the war broke out, a lot of people from Baryanka moved to um, Mazowiecki, about 2,000 people. And Mazowiecki now is, is a city of about 40,000 people. So they, they accept about 2,000 evacuees from Ukraine. So I met a lot of those people and the stories they told me, which are scarcely believable. Um, sometimes when we think about wars, we think they're, think they're very far away. And, and they are, but these are just ordinary people, just like ourselves. Um, I, I met I met a twenty-eight-year-old uh, woman. She's um, Natalie Kaminsky, is her name, and herself and her three-year-old son were sitting in their apartment on the twenty-fourth of February, the day of the invasion. And her mother-in-law rang, and she said, um, "Will you um, have you got your passport ready?" And uh, Natalie said, "Oh my God, drama, of course." And uh, she said, the Russians aren't going to invade at all. They're up on the border for the last six months and nobody expected them to to invade. And two hours later, she got another call. She said, the Russians are 50 kilometres away. So she was trapped in her in her, in her in her apartment with, with her husband and her three-year-old son and her mother-in-law. And they spent five days in the basement, in the dark, with the ground shaking all around them with the Russian artillery. And when they came out, she told me this, when they came out after five days, they got a call, you can go, you have a half an hour to go. Their neighbours were dead on the streets. Their town was levelled. It was just absolutely shocking. And she still can't believe that this has happened because she's just an ordinary person. Yeah. I know, I know. So, so, yeah, and those stories like that are replicated right oh, across. Thousands, yeah. thousands and thousands of times. So yeah, how, thousands. how did the request for this rehab hospital then come about? Well, I suppose it's, it's, it's funny the way it works is that when you are in this, we'll say, um, initiative, you become fairly well known because you'd be linking up with all sorts of different groups here and in Europe and in Ukraine. So I suppose uh, the authorities in Kiev heard of us um, and they, they contacted us through the mayor's office in Baryanka and asked us would we be uh, willing to supply another shipment of, of mobility aids. And we said, of course, well, yeah, absolutely, no question. So what we're hoping to do is the first round of this, I suppose the best way to call it would be, we were... We took on something that seemed very simple at the time, and it turned out to be a, an, an enormous logistics uh, um, enterprise, really, uh, to find you know, storage to store these places somewhere, to have a drop-off point, to collect them, to clean them, to package them. So it was, it was quite, a, quite, a, quite an endeavour that we went through. So we want to do this on a larger scale. We need to be a bit more strategic about it. So what I'm asking, Trisha, maybe you'll do me a favour and I'm putting out a call there to your listeners to see does anybody in any of the towns around North Cork where your listeners are want to set up a branch of crutches for Ukraine. Um, if they do, um, we'll, we, they can contact me and um, or our website or our Facebook page, Crutches for Ukraine, the, figure, the letter four, number four, and, um, and, and contact me through that. Okay, and, and just I, be, and we're, we're right across the city and county. We've lot uh, in, yeah. in West Cork as well. So, yeah. a, anyone who would be willing to act as a kind of a storage, a drop-off point, is what, is, or, is what or, you or, need. Or wishes to, to collect these things. Themselves. Yeah, and then and then we want people to have your crutches. You know, is there crutches yeah. up in the attic when somebody broke a leg, or a, a walking stick that Granny used to use isn't using anymore? Wheelchairs, any kind of mobility aid. That are in good condition. Are in good condition. Yeah. And most yeah. of them, in fairness, John, are. Because that's, yeah, well, that, yeah. that scenario yeah. you painted as somebody breaking a leg and they're yeah. on crutches maybe for about six, eight weeks. And mm-hmm. they're perfect. Nothing that's wrong with them. Absolutely perfect, yeah. yeah. 
So that's 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 what we were. So to so do. Crutch is the number four for Ukraine. Check it out yeah. on the web, um, the Facebook, Facebook. page, and if, if anybody can help at all. And have you set a deadline on when you'll hope to ship the next lot, John? Not really, because we're involved in one or two other projects as well. In the meantime, um, we are um, in the process of shipping the contents of a school from Ireland to um, to to Barianka. As you do. Where did you get the contents of a school? <laughs> There's a school, uh, a new school we've built in Minute. Yeah. We've been, off, we've been off the contents of the old one. It won't be ready for uh, maybe a month's time or so. So you're shipping so, an entire contents of a school? Blackboards, desks, desks chairs? De- chairs, projectors, whiteboards, ah. blackboards, everything we could think of. Here to go. Um, in 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 Barianka, the, the Russians, when they when they got to that town, they, they set up uh, their headquarters in the school. And when they were leaving, they took everything. Could you believe it? They even took the tiles off the floor. Yeah, shocking, took, shocking. 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 Yeah, so, so um, obviously the kids will be going back to school, like our own kids will be soon. And um, this, this school in Manus will have the equipment for us, we hope, well by the end of September. Well done, well done. Okay, and we've got all your contact details and we'll keep in contact with you, uh, John. And if we can be of any use from a publicity point of view, feel free to, to give us a call. Uh, but listen, good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you very much, Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is John Gilroy. Crutches for Ukraine. If you're anywhere across the city or county and would like to set up a branch in your area just to collect them and then they'll be they'll arrange to collect them from you or do it and get them shipped. And and I do know because there, there are a lot of households across the city and county that do have, don't know, maybe wheelchairs as well, but certainly the crutches and the walking sticks, because every single time that comes up, somebody wants to hand back in the crutches to be told that they're no longer of use. You can't return them to the HSC. And I got a fake recollection that they were looking into that a number of years ago. Was it during the downturn when we went into after the crash, after the end of the Celtic Tiger and, you know, everything. They were sort of watching every single red cent that was being spent by the government. I thought at that stage that they were talking about doing some kind of a system where the crutches could be returned, you know, cleaned, obviously make sure that they're all in correct working order. Because as I say, most of those crutches are absolutely perfect. You know, I mean, nobody's looking for damaged crutches, but most of them are absolutely perfect. So uh, crutches for Ukraine, it's the number four if you want to check them out on their Facebook page. And we'll keep in contact with uh, John Gilroy. I'm just uh, pondering and wondering, are we starting to see uh, an increase in war fatigue and fatigue against the Ukrainian refugees, which is really, really unfair. These people don't, in the majority, don't want to be here. They want to be in their own country. But I think Senator Jerry Crockwell, when he's saying, do we need to put a limit on the number of refugees that we take in this country? Because if we don't, that people might turn against the refugees. And that simply isn't fair. And I certainly have noticed over the last probably month, two months, we've you can, but the tone of some of the texts and commentary coming in from people certainly would indicate that there does seem to be a little bit of fatigue when it comes to the money that's been spent on the Ukrainian uh, refugees and particularly when I mentioned at the start of the programme the figures that have been released by the Department of Integration that 99.3 million has been spent on accommodation in contracts to hotels and B&Bs etc. Somebody says the Irish have nothing and yet the government are spending this kind of money to help the Ukrainian people. They are taking our hotels, swimming pools and now they want to take over our sports stadiums. It's unbelievable. All this money is going to them and our own Irish can't feed our, and clothe our own 
that can't close their own uh, children. My son lives in England and they have slowed down in taking them in in England. Well, you can't use England as a model. They've, they've they put every barrier in the way to try to stop Ukrainians uh, going in but then that's a completely different issue what's going on in England when it comes to any kind of uh, refugees or asylum uh, seekers but just the tone of that text of people saying is there too much money going to the Ukrainians when we've got our own problems in this country and I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that as more and more refugees arrive that's why this war needs to end as soon as possible 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your... Uh, Thoughts coming in on Ukraine and particularly on, on Sabina Higgins and her letter. The uh, mixes the own the only way the war in Ukraine will end is exactly as Mrs Higgins has said. Get them all to sit around a table. How did we find peace in the north of Ireland? How do we do it? By people coming together and talking. It is the only way to do it, says Mick, who so therefore agrees with Sabina Higgins. And then someone else, when I'm saying, is there a bit of refugee fatigue going on, which I really hope uh, there isn't because it isn't the fault of the Ukrainians that they've been forced out of their own country. A listener says, let us not forget, none of us go to bed at night wondering if our father, our husband, our brother or our friend has been killed, injured or captured. Yes, we know it's not always fair, but in God's name, don't let us stop helping these poor people. Why must we enable label nationalities why instead don't we label the need if they need help let us offer them help and to the lady who quoted her son in England I hope she's grateful that the English people didn't have her attitude when her son moved there when there wasn't even a war be kind people please says this uh, texter thank you for that and Morris in Glanthorn on Sabina Higgins letter said you won't be able to get peace unless you raise the issue of both sides sitting down and talking. What did what did people expect Sabina Higgins to say that R- Russia are the aggressors? She called for peace, which at the end of the day is what most people are are calling for. 0818 103 103. Now earlier somebody said that why are we so reliant on the Ukraine when it comes to the amount of grain that Ukraine produces and the whole world held its breath while that deal got negotiated in Hungary to allow grain to come out of Odessa over the weekend. And I just did a quick check to see how much of 40% of the world food programme's wheat supplies come from the Ukraine. Uh, and that's why it was so important to get so get as much grain as they can out of the country. And then that led to somebody saying, should we not be producing our own grain? Should we not be becoming more self-sufficient in this country? Joe was picking up on that in Bantry. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Lovely th- morning. Uh, is it a lovely morning in Bantry? I'm, I'm, Beautiful I'm, morning. Is it? Fertil- okay. Fertiliser falling from the sky. Is there? Oh. <laughs> well, the sunny spells are on the way, and good weather is coming. We're we're keeping yes, we're so keeping we need, hopeful. We need both. We need both. We do. We do. We need a night. We need both. If it could just rain overnight and the sunshine during the day, that's what we need. Okay, yes. the growing of grain in Ireland, uh, Joe. Do you think we should and could be growing more? We could, of course. Uh, the most important thing in life today is food, all right? And grain is one of them. And uh, people need grain. Animals need grain. 
So that's the main thing. We can set plenty of green in this country if we're left. But with the Green Party and all environment, I'm 100% behind the environment, but uh, I think food comes first. Now, I've seen here um, land planted down here, which those green growing there years ago. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's one farm, and I said there's about 30, 40 acres that, and about 25 years ago. And uh, it's uh, it ash trees. Next thing, disease, disease came in for ash trees, and it's worth nothing now. All right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, there could be green grown in them fields. And we don't have to be importing uh, so much green in or so much food in this country. We're very lucky that we're living in Ireland because we have sunshine, we have rain, we have everything what we want to produce food. We have the so perfect climate. We have the perfect climate. We should not be in, importing any food into this country except, right, there might be oranges or something like that that we can grow here. Like the, but it's, it's these politicians, they're only all fighting just to stay in power. That's what it's about. We had a story last week there, 25% cut in, in, in the agriculture side of it. This was all about staying in power. You know, the Greens had them wrapped around their fingers. It's all about staying in power. That's what it's about. Like, the next government to come in, it could be a different thing. If you can remember back in, I think, 2014, after, I know, I'm not 100% the year now, but they told us harvest 2020. Yeah. Keep pushing, push, push, push. Uh, and and tell this was another crow behind this. Um, more milk, more milk, more milk. No, they're trying to get rid of us now again. And now they're saying, yeah, call the call the herd. Yeah, because and farmers did exactly what they were asked to do for harvest twenty twenty. And now there's a sea change. You go, oh, well, we got that wrong, which is, which is, I have to say, uh, very unfair. And just looking very, at, very just looking at grain in, in, we are heavily reliant on imported grain in this country. We import around sixty percent of the five point five million tons of grain that we 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 over we, we source that from overseas. Like something seems wrong, doesn't it? I, th- I think your point is right. We, you know, we are a country that has the perfect climate for growing. And yet we are oh, yes. oh, around sixty percent. We have to import into this country. Yeah, completely wrong. Like we don't even like the government don't even look after the grain growers in this country, right? They're penalised them all the time, and there's too much red tape, all red tape. And like the, uh, um, there's land being wasted, being planted, being wasted, uh, and there could be grains out there, like years ago. Now there's grain in the Ukraine at the moment, and that's there nearly maybe seven or eight months. All right. Mm. That green is not really great green. Is it not? If, if, it's there too long. More. See, if you had if you had a carrot or, or, or a nunch there for uh, six or seven months, it wouldn't be that nice, would it? The yeah. same with the green. Yeah. You know? And like like, like this, we should be growing our own green and, and the green growers in this country should be supported 100% because it's the main food for the people and for the animals. And I think it's completely wrong for the Green Party not to be mentioning about food. All this, like they're, they're talking about climate change. So, like this, that ship that's going out there now, going to Africa, some of this, uh, look at what pollution are they causing. Like, if everything we import is not good for the environment, is it? Or am I wrong saying that? Like, if there's just a living off, uh, there's planes bringing stuff, there's boats bringing stuff. 
Look what we did to uh, to our our sugar industry, and we have to yeah. we have to bring that in now by boat and plane to bring the sugar yes, that we yes. were, were we were producing. And if you think back to well, you wouldn't be able to think back to, but if we read our history books, the time of the emergency during the Second World War, sure, we had to be self sufficient in those days. There was no there was no importing of anything. We can do no it in, the, in, the, in this country. We can we can do it here in this country. And and you remember back in zero eight when the recession came? Yeah. What kept the, what kept the country going? Agriculture. Agriculture. Yeah. And I know at the start of the war back in March, there was, and I'm reading this uh, piece from the Financial Times, the government launched a a 12 million euro crop cultivation scheme to try to boost crane production. I don't know how many farmers uh, got involved in this, but there was a payment of 400 euro per hectare to encourage farmers to plant additional barley, wheat and oats. Uh, what they, they called it actually a wartime tillage uh, programme. Uh, it was last used, funnily enough, during the Second World War. I don't know how many farmers have, have picked up on that. Yeah, the, the, the farmers that picked up that, they won't, if they won't be out next year, they won't be growing. It should be left to the people that can grow grain and that know how to grow it. And, and like the, it, it was kind of taken off. Uh, the grain, that the, the people that are growing grain for, for, for generations, it, it, their, their prices cut down. And so, like, the one hand, they're, they're telling people to grow grain. Next thing, the people that, that know how to grow it, they're taking it off of them. So, like, the, I think these politicians have the clue what the, what, what's about. Yeah. And, and like, the, it, it should be... Look, if we don't look after the agriculture side in this country, it won't be long that the next generation won't put up with it and we'll be crying out for people to produce food in this country. If we think it's bad in Africa, it could happen here very well. And we need to, we need to, you're right about food. It is the, the most important thing. And that's globally. It's not just in this country. That's all over the world. All right. Listen, Joe, thank Hello, you for that. Thank you very and, much. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. 0818 103 Our lines are open. I mentioned the Indie Festival in Mitchellstown and what a great success the Indie Festival was. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, just to let you know, a great day was had by all in Holy Cross in Tipperary on Sunday. It was the Cutloose Country Music Festival. Uh, I'd like to say well done to all involved, says the texter to 0862 103 C103 Jobs. A van driver is wanted. This is for a busy veterinary wholesale business in Mallow. CVs please to Douglas at um, acravet.ie. Irish Rheumatic Services are looking for people to join their service team. Now it may suit second or third year apprentice or somebody with mechanical or electrical experience, email CVs and a cover letter, please, to compressors at ips.ie. Desi's Tires there in Carrigaline, they've got a vacancy for an assistant manager and senior fitters. Email paul at desistires.ie. And staff nurse and healthcare assistant positions are available at St. Gobnets Nursing Home in Ballyagram. CVs, please, to st.govnets at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. While we were discussing the effects of carbon targets on the farming sector, the news was announced that the European Commission had approved an €80 million Irish scheme to incentivise fishing vessel owners to cease commercial fishing activities by 
scrapping their vessels. Joining me with a reaction from fishermen is Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. Patrick, is, good morning. is this basically Irish fish being handed over to large foreign vessels? I'll start off the interview by, by this bleak statistic. There is a Dutch company that actually earns as much from fishing than our industry combined. One, one, one Dutch company? One Dutch company. Makes enough when you combine all the Irish fishermen together? And aquaculture and processing, everything. 1.2 billion. Add the whole lot together, one Dutch company earns as much out of the sea as we do from everything. That's, that's how low we've gone. And for any minister of any country to welcome the destruction of their industry, to me, is crazy. It's a sad, sad day in our country that the rights to fish in our own waters have been taken away from us. And other people are going to replace it inside in our own waters. We can't catch our own fish. How many vessels does the scheme expect to scrap? I'm really frightful that everything that I've said has come to fruition to date. And everything I've said and been predicting since I came into this job has finally been realised with that announcement. And I believe, Patricia, that the target is probably half of our offshore fishing fleet. I'd say that's the target, if they can get rid of half. At the moment, it's a third. But I think if they could get rid of a half, I'd say they'd be delighted. But is, is it a voluntary scream, Patrick? Well, I had an interview with a girl now that's writing for The Times and stuff like that on, on a regular basis. And I'd explain it to you like this. And I know this might sound crazy to the listeners, and you've heard me often enough speak, but as I said, I've been right so far. This is like somebody being tied to a chair and getting a beating to sign a confession. That's how voluntary I think this is. And the way I'd put it to anybody, if I went to any fisherman in the country and said, listen, lads, I can double what you're allowed to catch tomorrow, will you take the decommissioning scheme? The answer would be no. So how can something be voluntary when you've lost 25% of what you were catching to keep yourself financially viable? If you can't stay in business and you have to leave the business, there's nothing voluntary about that. So this you're, saying, you're saying people's hands will be forced because they're going to look at the oh, figures. Yeah. 100%. Look, I, I, I remember his father was a fisherman before him. 80 years in the business. They'd be lucky to walk away without a death after putting millions upon millions through both their lifetimes into their industry. They'd be lucky to clear their debts now at this stage. That's not voluntary. That's annihilation. And we are not saying this. This is written down in paper. Patricia, I, I, I'm the only organisation in the country that did not agree with the terms and conditions of the decommissioning scheme in the Minister's Task Force report, despite what he's put in writing. Mine is in writing on the report. We did not agree with it, not the terms and conditions, because we gave valuations for the boat and showed that the price, just to pay these people off with a small bit of dignity to give them back what they put into the boat, without doing up their boats, would have been fourteen or 15000 per GT. And people might say, sure, these people are getting free money. They're not. It's blood money. It's, it's money that was um, from the devastating effects of Brexit. And it came from Europe. And it was 1.2 billion. And our fishermen, to leave their livelihoods, a third of them, get 80 million. 
So I want to put it in context. So if anybody thinks that these fishermen are getting a good deal, they're not. They're being robbed. They're being forced out of their industry. And I'll stand up in front of any man or woman in the Is there anyone you think it might suit? Only the people that have no choice. Older fishermen that can't get crew, that can't go out to sea, that can't see a future to invest. Like, a sonar would be 250000 for a boat. If the money isn't there to earn that back, sure, they can't do it, Patricia. Yeah, yeah, Price yeah. of fuel and everything else. You're, you're asking people at their most vulnerable to stay in an industry that's not paying them. Like, there's nothing voluntary about this. They're taking advantage of... Look, I, I'm, I'm on commissions and, and groups all over the world and watching stuff, what's happening in Africa and everywhere else. And we're in the same category now as the small boatmen in Africa that see big boats coming in, taking their fish, and they've no fish left for them and they have to leave. We, we're seeing that happen here in our own eyes, by our own people, welcomed by our ministers, wiping out our coastal communities. And, and this has happened. I, I told people when I started fishing out of Baltimore, there was 20, 25 boats there. There's two or three now, four. You know, this is the skull, same thing. You know, there was 200 people working in a factory in Skull. That factory's gone now. Not because the fish aren't there. The boats couldn't stay there. They had to leave. Services weren't there. They just kept wiping it out, wiping it out, wiping it out. And look, for, for a change now, the farming community can see, I've been warning about this as well, they were next. And the statistics about this just don't make sense. We contribute 0.09% of carbon to the world. 0.09%. So we cut down 30% of our agriculture. But our, our agriculture doesn't come 0.09%. It gives thousands of a percent. So we're wiping out a fifth or a third of our agricultural industry or small farmers for nothing. There is no gain for the planet here. It's a joke, especially when we're being told that the shortage that this will create in, in food supply will be met by Brazil who are grain-fed animals, not grass-fed. Mm. Like, people have to understand that grass grows through photosynthesis. Carbon is a food source for plants. So your plants eat the carbon, grows, cut the grass, harvest it, feed it to the cattle. Yes, they build, create methane. But it's a perfect cycle. They're on about the blue economy. Sure, what can be bluer than that? When you go out and cut the grass and you leave the grass there, that's carbon sequestering. People are being misinformed and told for what reason, I don't know, but it's devastating for a country. And I don't want to be depressing anybody. Yeah, and, the, and the, other, the, other, the other point that has to be made as well, while it's devastating news for the, the, the fishermen, mm. and I think in particular of the people you talk about, you know, who fishing has been in the generations, the fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers uh, before them. I mean, it's just devastating for them. But of course, less v- vessels has a huge negative impact on the local communities. Oh, yeah, like... I got a phone call today now. Is there any boats out, lads? Can you, can you direct them our way? Because there's no fish in the southeast coast. And the reason for that is that we have a temporary tie-up scheme because there just isn't enough. And look, I don't want to be complicating this for listeners, but I work on trying to balance the amount of fish people get every month. I sit as part of a committee. And we had to tie up boats because we didn't have enough fish because we'd been robbed. And I'm saying robbed, and I'll say that uh, on air uh, as a fact. Europe. Otherwise, the only thing is that our government gave it away behind our backs because we were told they weren't giving it away. So the only way they could get it was to rob it. And that's a fact. It's not, it's not me sensationalising this. I'm telling you the truth. And I can, Anybody wants to come in here and debate it with me, any politician, I've no problem explaining it to them the way that 
it should have been explained. So there's no fish in the southeast coast. So that means there's no processing. That means there's no jobs there. There's no fish for restaurants and, and uh, chippers are going to rise. We've been saying this. But even it, it, I was on another interview with a man that had, uh, after him actually, had eight chip shops above in, in, in Cork. price of fish has gone up. He, he's afraid now that his customers won't be able to afford or the, the basic fish and chips that yeah, yeah that, that everybody does. Do, do, does it feel, Patrick, almost at the beginning of the end, the fishing industry? It does, but is it that we're not going to give up? I think since I came into the industry when I was a twenty-year-old, and I've no intention of giving up now. People that are bad, that will be. And we have to take this into a courtroom. Like we said, we will. We have no choice because. We, we can't. We, we can't give up. It's not an option. But we do need the people outside there who's listening to this, if they believe us, to start talking about this as well. Ring up the radio show. You know, tell you that they too are concerned. Anybody that's listening to this now, we need your reaction because it's the react people talking that changes political minds and move, makes people move. We've seen it. We've seen it with the AIB banks. Imagine closing down banks around coastal communities where you two and a half hour drive. I think all sense and, and people power. Yeah, people power. People power work there. The other thing I've noticed um, on this particular issue, Patrick, was when this story broke as uh, Friday afternoon, when after the after the show had wrapped up, and myself and John Paul were in the office discussing that obviously we'd have you on the program today to talk about it. And I was saying to John Paul, there'll be a lot of commentary about this over the weekend. I saw little or no commentary about it over the weekend. Well, I, I, the only way I describe that is. When the Russian um, thing broke, we were seen in America, personally seen in America, by 78 million viewers. Yet, RTE never put me in a show, even though we were seen all over America. Now, that's... This is when you went up to the, to the Russian ambassador. Yeah. yeah. Well, 8 million views in America. We have people visiting our office from America, coming in to look for photographs and see the office and where we did the interview. So I'm a celebrity in America. And, I, and yet my Taoiseach forgot my name in the doll. No, that's not by accident, Patricia. That's ah, why well, we you keep know, to yourself. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always slow to handpick and criticise one in particular individual. Like he could have a lot, a, a, a lot on. But all I'm saying is a lot of the media, I didn't see it. It wasn't, it wasn't just RTE. I didn't see a lot of commentary anywhere. I mean, are there, are there a lot of politicians coming out talking about this? Politicians in your no, area? Very, no, very, very few. Very few. But you see, we're, we're in a situation that this is beyond belief. This is like science fiction. If somebody told you tomorrow that a third of the radio stations were to go, or that a third of anything were to go in the morning. It's be up wrong, be up wrong. So this so so this scheme this scheme got, got approved. So so yes. what happens now? Now you see the scheme that we were looking for was that it would be based, Patricia. And, and thanks for giving us this airtime, right? So the scheme was to be based at the value of the boats on the open market. At least people would get back what they got out. That's not going to be the case now. Now it's three thousand six hundred euros per GT, right? We, we show that the value of the GT, the gross tonnage, uh, uh, one of the ways of measuring uh, what a boat is worth um, is the gross tonnage on a boat. So there might be 100 GTs in a boat, so the boat could be worth um, a million euros. Well, then that's 10,000 per GT. Well, that's the valuation. We believe the valuation, a fair valuation, is 14,000. They're starting it off at 3,600, and they're saying no that the boat, whatever they cost, will add how much fish you cost. 
But that goes against the national policy. And the national policy is that everybody gets an authorization to fish. Some people are lucky if more fish or they are better at it or they keep them. No people are going to be punished that if something went wrong in the last number of years, the rest of the years, that they didn't catch enough fish, their business is going to be devalued. But yes, is this is this scheme is this scheme set in stone or can it be negotiated? You see, this is the thing. We got an announcement from Europe before we got it from our own minister. And like I know you don't want me to be picking on things here and no, but I'm really upset over this. Well, listen, I I can hear it in your voice and you're always very passionate and you're always fighting on behalf of the fishing community. So I do. So I do. I do understand it. But is it set in stone? Yes, it it is. is. Yeah. But like, it's worse rather than better. It's going to get. And that's the truth. Okay. And you might please get me back on air. We will talk again. Listen, we listen, we 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 talk to you a lot and and you're always welcome on the programme and we we will talk again because this isn't the end of it uh, for sure. And I can see a lot of people very upset to think that we could lose so much of our fishing industry. Listen, uh, Patrick, your line was starting to deteriorate there, so I leave it there. We will speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Good morning to you, Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. I think he's his stat about there's one Dutch fishing company that makes their profit is they make the same amount as the entire fishing industry in this country. Just shows we are a drop in the ocean when it comes to things like our fishing industry. And yet now under the scheme, we're going to lose even more. Uh, Thomas was on having listened to Patrick just there and also Joe, the farmer from Bantry, who spoke to us earlier about how we need to be self-sufficient in this country and go back to to growing more of our own grain. Thomas said, I've never heard two men talk so much uh, since they're better than any politician that comes on radio. 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. While most of us were hopefully, hopefully enjoying a nice, relaxing weekend, my next guest was undertaking a 90 kilometre walk slash hike from Cork City Centre to Bantry Pier in the final stages of what is his evacuation walk. I'm delighted to be joined by Paul O'Leary um, from the city, but now living in Bandon. Uh, good morning to you, Paul. Hello. Uh, Hi. I'm, Thanks for checking in. <laughs> well, listen, and uh, thank you for joining us. I'm told uh, you're about five kilometres away from Bantry Pier, so the, the end is in sight. So I suppose start at the beginning. You're trying to simulate what it would be like if you were forced to be evacuated from Cork City, isn't that what you're, what you're trying to, to do? Yeah, yeah. The, I suppose the cause is twofold, really. Um, the walking part is, um, in terms of a bit of a symbol for all the millions of Ukrainians who had to do um, the same and go to the nearest border back in February. And the two nights kind of wild camping um, is for, obviously, people here now in Ireland as well who don't have a roof over their heads and, um, you know, are suffering homelessness. Um, for and the causes for St. Vincent and Paul. So you, you set out from Cork City on Sunday morning, was it? That's it, Sunday morning from Patrick Street and um, made my way then out towards um, Lasarda, took a left and um, basically started going really cross-country there, a lot of local roads um, up up and over and um, just walking now down towards Bantry um, two days later. 
two nights later. <laughs> now, um, the weather, you had a mixed bag weather-wise. Oh, my God, yeah. I um, I was expecting cloud on the first day um, when I looked about a day before, a day and a half, but um, I got scorched on the first day. It was beautiful, um, some beautiful views um, along the way, and from about midday yesterday, then um, started torrential rain. Um, interesting night, second second night wild camping there. Uh, <laughs> a bit stoked now and uh, still continuing today. So, But unlike so many, I, I have a nice, cosy, uh, warm home and cosy bed. To tonight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Far, yeah That's the that. difference. If this was a real evacuation, you're heading for the pier to try to get on a boat to get to safety. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, no, it's just... Um, a bit of solidarity with, with those folks and the Ukrainians here in Ireland um, accessing services by St. Vincent de Paul and obviously for um, for folks who are homeless um, yeah. and who, who St. Vincent de Paul helped as well. So just, a, just, just something small really in the grand scheme well of done. things. Well, well done. Now, have you ever done wild camping before? Um, no, no, this was the whole premise of it too. I'm, I'm quite a, a sheltered individual, really, very much an indoor person. So this was this was a shock to the system. And um, to give you an example, um, yesterday when I was um, passing um, a home on, on a local road there now out um, West Cork direction, um, after I passed the home, um, the husband and wife came out and called after me and uh, asked, uh, was I okay? And uh, did I want to le- lift because um, I look in pain? <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, obviously, West Cork hospitality. Uh, um, you can't you know, beat you can't beat um, it. And did you explain to them what you were doing? I did. I did. I explained to them. And uh, after that, they went away and actually donated to the cost. Did they? So well done. I well, can't really ask for much more there. Well, well done. The, the generosity of, of people knows uh, no bounds. Because no, I saw you. I saw you put up on your YouTube your practice run in your back garden. And you looked to me like somebody who never pitched a tent before in your life. <laughs> Would I be <laughs> right, Paul? That's about that's about right. And um, I suppose for a thank you for the donations, what I've been doing is um, creating just some content so that people can follow along the journey with me and uh, see see me like like putting up a tent for the first time, having a practice overnight camp, along with a couple of preparation walks that I did. And next week I'll have um, a video up on YouTube then as well, um, showing the three day. Well done. And you, did you, so you brought everything. You, you, the whole idea was you were getting out of Cork City. You were being evacuated, so you packed everything that you needed. You yeah, car- everything, you, everything in the backpack. Yeah, exactly, and tied on. Um, tent, sleeping bag, um, inflatable mattress, couple of, couple of dry um, clothing, and and bits and pieces. Yeah, about f- twelve kg. I'd say. Food. What you do for food? Yeah, I got some, um, some I suppose dry, um, dry kind of food packs that you just have to add water to. I have a little gas canister that um, I was working for the first time and uh, managed to cook cook myself up something on the first night. Couldn't do it last night with the wind and the rain, <laughs> but I had plenty of um, protein bars and the like. So and uh, and are you like. carrying all the water that you require with you? Are you getting that along the way? Yeah, I have. Um, I was able to fill up along the way okay. um, in little little stops. Um, there's a few post offices and little shops along the way, so I have about just over two litres on me at any one time. So okay. it kind of does me in between the pit stops, you know. 
And you didn't stop anywhere and go into a restaurant for a nice, good Irish breakfast or anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, I might get something at Bantry here now. Oh, when you're finished, absolutely. <laughs> and great spot for food. It's a, it's a great spot. So the the hardest part of it, you would say, was what? Oh, um, it's the, I, I suppose, the feet, really. Um, I can tell any, I suppose, budding hiker or person wanting to do long-distance walker, if you've, if you think you've brought along enough blister plasters, you haven't really. Ouch. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 bring more. Are your feet in bits? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, I'm hobbling to the finish line rather than walking, but as long as I get there, that's the main thing. And is, and is that, yeah, and because you were getting wet as well, which doesn't help. Yeah, no, the wet, the wet isn't too bad and uh, the rest of the body, the legs and everything are fine. It's just the... Um, you know, the, the feet really, the soles, mm. um, is is the hardest is the hardest part. Okay. Um, but no, it's been it's been a great adventure, and like I said, it's only um, a couple of days, a few days for me, unlike a lot of others, you know. So and the best part? Oh, I'd say the first day getting the um, I kind of went on a local road alongside the Cork McCroom Road that took me way up high, and the views and that Stunning. direction was just. And with the sun, yeah. with the sun shining as well. We've, yeah, yeah, listen, we live in a, we live in a beautiful neck of the woods, particularly we really do. when the we sun really is shining. Do. But you were on your own; you didn't have anybody with you. Yeah, yeah, on my own. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but uh, plenty of messages of support. Did you? And people checking in. Um, like, uh, like my family was uh, worried about me, so they were checking in quite often. <laughs> To make sure that so they didn't, was, didn't need uh, to hop in the car and come and collect you or, or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. so to explain to people how they can donate. Yeah, I suppose um, it's an official St. Vincent de Paul um, donation link. Okay. So they can either find it on the website um, there under current fundraisers. Probably the easiest is my Facebook um, called um, at Paulie's Evac Walk. Um, it has all the links there to the donation page, my Instagram, which I've been following or updating while I go on and kind of more in real time and um, YouTube as well if they want to, anyone who wants to donate and perhaps um, check out the videos and the video next week as a, as a thank you. Okay, and if the vsvp.ie and you'll find yes. Paul's evacuation walk um, on that uh, as well. So, uh, well done to you. It's, it's, been, Thanks it's, been, it's been quite an experience. Were you long thinking about us before you um, yeah, I actually was. Um, I was just trying to get the time to do it. Um, I was, I, I suppose, like a lot of others, I was pretty shocked at what happened and what started and is still ongoing um, since February, you know, um, with the war in Ukraine, you know. So I was just kind of thinking maybe if, about a month or a few weeks after that, what, you know, what people must have gone through. So, um, but I just wanted to make a more Irish base. So that's why I'm doing it for um, Ukrainians who are here in Ireland and also. Irish folk our own well, and yeah our, our own exactly. and, and it's it's interesting because just earlier today we were talking about this, there is a bit of war fatigue unfortunately going on that's and, it, that's and it. I absolutely hate to hear it and, and some of the comments that come in and I just think oh it saddens me because these people never asked for war in their country they never asked to be refugees they never asked to come to Ireland they were just fleeing for their lives but so many people are saying oh, you know, what charity begins at home. And that's what I love about what you're doing. You're covering both angles. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's close to home as well. Um, I have an uncle who, who managed to get uh, his his wife out of Ukraine, actually from Odessa um, at the time as well. So close to home as well. So it's, it's nice to, 
nice nice to do it. It was nice to do it overall. And Odessa, I've been watching Odessa with great because Odessa is such a beautiful, beautiful city and uh, port, and the architecture there is incredible. So yeah. much so that during the Second World War, Hitler said that he didn't want to touch Odessa. He knew he knew better than to because of the historical nature and the architecture that's there and the important architecture is there and then to see Putin now sending in the troops and they're they're, they're going to decimate Odessa if they don't stop it's just dreadful mm-hmm. dreadful I know uh, I anyway know. so uh, what's the so hi, so you're five kilometres when do you expect to reach the pier yeah, and boundary yeah just over the hour I'd say just over the hour uh, from now yeah I'd say all going well and who and, is there uh, anyone to meet you yeah, yeah, my oh. uh, my lovely wife is uh, going to be out and uh, will collect me and uh, will bring me back uh, oh, to, to, to Bandon is where I originally from and living at. That's, yeah, so back home for yeah. a, a, a shower. You haven't been able to shower. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for the yeah. wife uh, on the way back home now, but, you know, it won't be too long. <laughs> okay, when, what, what's, what's, your, what's your wife's name? Uh, Erica. Erica. Erica, Erica, if yeah. you're listening, I'd say keep the windows of the car <laughs> They're open for the for the journey for the journey back, and then a, a, sh- a shower. And will you will you go for a few hours sleep, or, or will you are you or will you still be on a high? Yeah, no, I'd say I'd say I'll keep keep going. A bit of food and bantry. Go back home, have a shower, relax, and yeah, definitely get an early night for sure. Okay, and are you work? <laughs> and where do you work, Paul? Um, just a small business owner in Bandon, um, with with my wife. So we'll be starting um, prep tomorrow. Now we've a little food takeaway business. Oh, you're you're into food. So yeah, yeah, yeah very much. So and what's it called? Uh, Sendai Sendai Asian Kitchen in Bandon. Sendai Asian Kitchen. All right, and you're back to work tomorrow morning. Then are you? Back to work bright <laughs> and early. Yeah. We'll leave you off along with your poor blisters. God love you. But well done, well done. It's oh, no. it's terrific, and I, and I'm looking forward to seeing your end. Uh, video when it goes up on on uh, YouTube as well. It's 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 incredible what you've done. So well done on it. Thanks, and thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks, and, Paul. Um, thanks to everyone as well for supporting me with the donation so far. Really appreciate it. Okay, it's a really good cause. Thanks, Paul. Stay safe. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Paul O'Leary at the end of his simulated evacuation walk. Keep a lookout from if you're down and around the pier in Bantry. So many people uh, agreeing with Patrick Murphy who joined us about the fishing industry and actually tying in with what Joe was saying earlier, the farmer from Bantry saying that the farming community should be allowed to grow more grain and wheat and barley uh, etc. Some of your texts in John says what a great interview with Patrick Murphy on behalf of the fishermen. He's telling the absolute truth. The government sold out our fishermen when we joined the EU and the EU fleet is now robbing our fish one of our greatest assets we all need to support our fishermen and that is from uh, John while Anne says uh, hi Patricia 100% agree with Patrick and everything he had to say and by the way fair to Joe for doing that walk from the city out to West Cork someone else Mary in Skibbereen says I agree with Joe the farmer earlier the people before us worked their worked their heads better and the farmers are the backbone of this country. The farmers that want to and can work the land should be allowed to. They should be allowed to make an income from it, says Mary in Skibbereen. Ross says, Eugene from Bantry, who now lives in the Ukraine, who's on our, been on our programme a good few times, said we all should be growing more food. I wonder how many people are actually doing it. Decommissioning scheme for the fishermen made simple, says this texter. Instead of fighting in the EU for more Irish quota to make the fleet viable, 
Bible. The Irish government have chosen to slash and burn the fleet to fit the meagre EU quota given to us. That's what decommissioning is all about. Tim says, Patricia, I remember a time when people would be driving trucks from West Cork to Spain and they would be carrying fish and then they'd come back with fruit. So they made both of the journeys worthwhile. And Marion Skibbereen says, yes, Patrick from the fishing community is right. He's speaking up for all of the fishing industry in this country. It's just like the farming community. It's all about food. It needs to be all about food. We need to survive. And that's from Marion Skibbereen. That's just a sample of some of your commentary coming in. Okay, I need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way with a reminder to you. You've got a chance to win a pair of tickets to go to see the Everyman, John B's um, novella, Letters of a Country Postman. And we're also throwing in a dinner for two at Gallagher's Gastropub. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Before I get to some of your comments coming into the programme, it is time for us to turn our attention to our competition that we're going to be running every day this week. The good people at the Everyman in Cork have kindly given us a pair of tickets to their summer show this year, which is Letters of a Country Postman by John B. Keane. It opens on this Friday the 5th of... August and it runs right throughout the month ending on Saturday the 27th of uh, August. Letters of a Country Postman It's a humorous fictional account of the exploits of a postman in rural Ireland and over the course of an eventful summer the colourful characters of the Ballyfee Postal District come to life in what is an adaptation for the stage of John B. Keane's much loved novella Letters of a Country Postman and the show features live trad music as well uh, that's by acclaimed accordionist Danny O'Mahony by all accounts this sounds like a cracker of a show but we not only have a pair of tickets to get you to see this show at the Everyman but before you go along to the theatre we're going to send you for dinner meal for two at Gallagher's Gastro Pub that's what's on offer today so we have a table booked for about half past five it's Thursday the 18th of August so you must be available on that date so you go to Gallagher's Gastro Pub you have your meal and then you head off afterwards to be at the Everyman in your seats for half past seven we're basing we'll have a question every day and our question every day is based on something to do with the life and times of John B. Keane. So today's question, and we'll give you an A or a B. We'll make it as easy as possible for people to enter. Now, you enter via text or WhatsApp. We'll leave it open for about 10, 15 minutes, and then we will randomly select our winner for today. So today's question, which John B. play features the characters Mina and her husband, Mike? Is it A, Sive, or B, Sharon's Grave? Which John B. play features the characters Mina and her husband Mike? Sive or Sharon's grave? Now, I need you to get in your answer, please, along with your name and address by text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And as I say, you've got about 10, 15 minutes max to get your entries into us and you could be with a chance of winning our prize today. Meal for two at Gallagher's Gastro Pub and then a pair of tickets to Letters of a Country Postman at the Everyman as I say it's Thursday the 18th of August is when we have the tickets for you and if you'd like to buy tickets to go along to what is going to be a fantastic show in the Everyman throughout the month of August then please go to Everyman 
Cork.com, everymancork.com, by which John B. play features the characters Mina and her husband Mike. A. Sive or B. Sharon's grave. Get please text only on that one 0862 103 103. Look into some of your calls and comments coming into the programme on growing our own food. And this kind of kicked off this morning and it's very much been tied in now with my interview with Patrick Murphy about what what certainly Patrick on behalf of the fishermen that he represents feels uh, absolute devastation of the fishing industry this scrappage scheme and uh, we don't know for sure at this stage how many fishing fishing vessels will we lose because of it but that's tied in with food and food security and how we need to be producing our own food Mary in Cantor says when she was growing up as a teenager she said we used to grow barley and uh, beet it was done. It was the done thing in many farms at the time. What we have done to our communities now, most of us worked. What have we done? What have we done to those communities now? Many of us worked the fields during the holiday season. And so that's one of the reasons why we here in Ireland, why our young people have such long holidays, particularly the secondary schools off for June, July and August. And that was done at a time when the young boys and girls were needed, exactly what Mary is saying, to go out and work the land. The farmers needed their help. And that's why those long summer holidays, and we've stuck with the tradition of those long summer holidays. Because you look to any other countries, even our nearest neighbours in England, they have six weeks, I think, off in the summer. Nothing like what we have here, but it goes back to the origins of it goes back to young people needed to work the uh, land so yeah it was a very different era do we need to return do we need to go back and start producing more food when we're seeing what's happening on a global scale what is happening with food uh, shortages now we we, will never be able to grow everything but do we need to certainly start to look at growing more and Carol then and this is tying in with War fatigue, as I mentioned earlier on, and, and it would sadden me greatly to see people turn their backs on the Ukrainian refugees because it's not their fault that they've been forced to flee their own country. But Carol says that she always feels very sorry for our own people, the Irish uh, people. She's noticed of late, particularly this year, when she's calling into some of her own friends, she's constantly hearing people saying, like this, I can't afford that. Somebody said, I've had to give up my phone. I can't afford it. Can't afford to buy meat anymore. I really have to watch what I'm spending all my money on. And Carol said it's very hard at times to hear that. And then you hear about over 99 million euro was spent accommodating Ukrainian refugees in this country. She said it's very hard to hear that that kind of money has been spent by the Irish government when we have our own Irish people who are cutting back on so much simply to uh, survive. So I have absolutely nothing against the refugees, but she said it really is heartbreaking to hear so many of our own and how so many of our own are struggling. And yeah, and unfortunately, how many of our own are going to continue to struggle? Because that ties in with, thank you for that, that ties in with, uh, uh, where is that text that came in? Because all the competition texts are coming in now, so I'm trying to find the text that came in with commentary on. This is from um, Heidi. Talking about two separate issues. Uh, First thing Heidi's talking about, uh, if people have been watching on a global seeing what's happening in Sri Lanka. The people in Sri Lanka are starving and they got out and they protest and they overturned the government. They took over the palace. Remember at one stage in uh, Sri Lanka? And Heidi says that was all to do with the green policies that were introduced in, in Sri Lanka and people weren't allowed to use fertilisers. And because of that, 
people in Sri Lanka were starving and they needed to do something about it. So they ended up uh, protesting. Heidi says uh, we are there's too much going on from an environmental point of view and everybody accepts this climate change and all that. But what she calls the global guys seem to be dictating everything to us. And then listening to you this morning talking about our fishing industry. Heidi says she was listening recently to a programme where fishermen were saying that they have so many good fish that they have to throw back into the sea and they have to do that because of quota. Uh, what a complete and utter waste, says Heidi, who's also bringing up about the energy companies and the fact that the energy companies are making huge profits with everything that's going on at the moment. She said it's a bit like the fuels at the pumps. They seem to go up like a rocket But they come down like a feather. They take so long to come down in price. Our government can't allow this to continue. It's not fair to us, the people who are really struggling at the moment. We as a country seem to think it's okay to be ripped off and rip off its people at every turn. We're not getting any more money, yet we're expected to pay for everything that increases. And then Heidi sent me on a link to something. Heidi, would you believe I had actually in, I bring in a number of items that if I get a chance, I'll discuss on the programme. And this was the, the link you sent on was something that I'd hoped to do on Friday, but we, we didn't get around to it. The programme was busy. And it is to do with exactly as Heidi has pointed out, energy companies making profits. But it's also tied in with the fact that energy companies are putting up their prices. And for example, this was last Friday. Friday, it was announced that Panda Power, they're increasing their electricity bills by 12.7% and their gas bills by 25.8%. That's coming in from around the end of August. It's Panda Power's second price increase this year. They last put up their prices in May. But last year, Panda Power increased electricity prices five times and they put up their gas four times. So when the new price rises kick in for Panda Power on the 25th of August, the average customer with Panda Power will end up paying about two and a half thousand euro a year for their electricity and about two thousand euro a year for their gas. Now they're huge, huge uh, figures. And Dara Cassidy, who we often speak with from the price comparison website bonkers.ie, he's describing the price rises now as astronomical. He was saying at the start of last year, Panda customers would have been paying around €1,200 for their electricity and it would have been about €900 for their gas. They, they, with the increase now, it'll be 2004 that'll be an increase of €2,400 a year. And if, if, he says, if you're a top rate taxpayer, you'll need to be earning almost €5,000 extra to pay for that increase and that's okay if you're working and you can afford you and, and even if you're working if you're a high earner you can afford it but if you're a low income worker you can't afford it and that's what a lot of people have pointed out wages are not not going up social welfare is not going up to cover all of these uh, costs and he's Derek Cassidy of Bonkers is, is simply saying that price increases of this frequency and this magnitude they are clearly unsustainable now Panda Energy came out to give the reasons and they say due to global factors beyond their control they cite wholesale gas and electricity costs that continue to rise substantially they say unfortunately the expectation is that these costs will remain high for the foreseeable future so it's not even a case 
we're going to put these prices up but we can see in the not too distant future we'll be able to reduce it they're, they're certainly not uh, saying that and of course yesterday if you are a customer of Electric Ireland and many people are because they have over a million customers they had their fourth price rise in electricity with Electric Ireland and their gas prices went up for the fourth time in a year and remember Electric Ireland is the ESB owned energy supplier they have increased from yesterday electricity prices up by 11% gas prices up by 29% second electric price hike for Electric Ireland for this year but it's their fourth since last year the move yesterday adds an average €164 Euro a year to the cost of electricity for their 1.1 million customers. And when the state-owned company last increase takes effect, uh, electricity prices then, when you add them all in over the last few years, 67% is what Electric Ireland have increased their prices uh, since. Their gas prices, as of from yesterday, has gone up by 93%. That's almost uh, double and householders have been warned that the wholesale gas costs will keep uh, rising. And obviously this is to do with the Russians. They've kept gas markets guessing over whether they'll reduce the flows to Europe or not. And that, of course, is keeping gas prices at um, elevated uh, levels. And while all of that is going on then, you see some of the energy companies announcing their profits. Board Gosh Energy, for example, their operating profits rose by 74%, not for the whole of last year, just for the first six months of this year, their adjusted profit for the first six months of this year, 39.5 million. And when you look at their profit for the same time last year, it's up from 22.7 million. So they're making huge, huge profits. And yet they seem to be able to get away with saying, oh, we've got all of these, the rising cost of wholesale gas and electricity. We've no no other choice. Well, you do have a choice. You could cut the profits that you're actually making. And then maybe the increases that you're passing on to people, you wouldn't have to make those increases so high. I mean, where where does it all end? I mean, literally, where does it all, all end? Now, I do know, by the way, just on, if you can take some bit of good news out of this, the public service obligation levy, you know, this PSO levy that drives everybody nuts before you flick a switch, before you use any electricity at all, you've got this public service uh, levy. That has been reduced by the energy regulator and we're going to get a credit back. It's around 90 euro is going to come back from the changes to the public service uh, from the PSO levy. So that's that is at least that is something. But unfortunately, prices are just rising so much. I heard over the weekend of an elderly person living on their own and they have gas and electricity into the house. And even though they're doing everything they can by changing providers, signing up to new contracts and all, all of that. But this this elderly person living on their own was paying out 420 odd euro a month between gas and electricity. He was working out at over 100 euro a week for gas and electricity, living in a, in a small bungalow on her own. It just it absolutely made no sense to me. You know, she said she's watching what she's turning on. And I mean, to me, it sounds like, was there something wrong with the meter? It seemed like a crazy sum of money, 100 euros, over 100 euro a week for one person on their own. And this was somebody living on the state pension of 200 odd 
euro a week of which almost half of it now will be going directly just on gas and electricity like that can't continue that simply can't continue 0818103103 John Paul is taking your calls text and whatsapp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie The Legion of Mary in Skibbereen They're organising a mass For all of their deceased members It's in St Mary's Cemetery It's tomorrow evening at half past seven Father Teddy Collins Will celebrate the mass and the 10th Micoregan Memorial Motorcycle Run, that's an aid of Pieta House, that's going to be held next Saturday. The si- sign-on is a Kit Roaches bar that's on Main Street in Butterwind. Sign-on starts from half past 10 and then they plan to get the motorcycle run underway at half past 12. Entry is by donation. Everyone is welcome. Entertainment before and after the run. There'll be free draws for participants for some lovely prizes. A mass in honour of St. Pio is on in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire tomorrow. Uh, everyone is very welcome. And Ballinhasset Community Development Association, they will host a social dance in the Marion Hall next Friday night. Dancing from 9.30 to 12.30. Music is by Dermot Lyons. Admission is €10 Euro, and it does include teas. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Stop texting us on our competition, uh, please. Uh, because I can see lots and lots and lots of people getting the correct answer. The correct answer was, of course, uh, Sive. And as somebody says, if I can spot that text, somebody was saying uh, about Sive at the time, it was um, it really summed up uh, what was going on at the at the time. It's it's a great play. I always find it one of the saddest, saddest plays as well. But it's a, a great a reflection on Irish life is what one listener says. Yeah, you are so right. OK, I let John Paul select the winner. because I said, let, let's see we, who's our winner for today. Uh, drum roll, please. Catherine Guiney in Nakraha in Glanmire. Congratulations to you, Catherine. You now have to the choice who you're going to bring with you. You'll be heading for a meal for two at Gallagher's Gastro Pub. Table book for half past five and then enjoy your meal and then head off to the Everyman to be in your seats for half past seven for letters of a country postman at the uh, Everyman. Congratulations to you, Catherine. And we'll do it all over again tomorrow and we'll have another meal at another restaurant uh, to give away tomorrow. And actually, when somebody says about Sive, uh, what a reflection on Irish life. The letters of a country postman as well, even though I think, I think he wrote that novella in the early, um, John B. wrote it in the early 70s. That's also a reflection of what was going on at the time. And, you know, because one of them is to do with, you know, the, no- no- the nosy postmistress who was steaming open letters to see what was going on. Not that any postmistress ever did that in Ireland. Uh, but, you know, they talk about things like somebody posting French letters, which is something that the younger... Uh, certainly the younger generation will be looking at you saying what what are they but somebody posting uh, contraceptives from England over to the family back home you know and they, they t- as in typical John B. Keane they touch on so many issues that at the time were, were quite uh, controversial okay thank you to everybody who took part in our competition today as I say we'll do it all over again uh, tomorrow hi Patricia there's an old saying buy a penny sell for a pound in Ireland 
we seem to buy for a penny and sell for £100. Nothing will be done. Everyone is out to rob the next person, says John, with everything going up at the moment. It really, where does it stop? Like it has to stop uh, somewhere. Marion Skibbereen says, yes, we do need to grow more and waste less. And having a good crop of potatoes and vegetables and fruit like apples that you grow yourself, there is nothing more healthier. And you've got happier people and happier children. Children will learn so much from a day in the garden than they can sitting down in the camp, says Mary in Skibbereen. And there's nothing like getting out. Actually, I'm growing tomatoes now. I just literally have three tomato plants uh, growing in the garden. And I get such a great buzz and a great bit of fun out of it. And Marcia loves anything to do with the soil and feeling things and growing and all the watering of it. And uh, I had the first two tomatoes ripened the other day. And I greedily ate both of them myself. And nothing tastes as delicious as organic tomatoes like that that you grow yourself and no matter where you buy your tomatoes from nothing will taste like the tomatoes when you bite into them it was like an explosion in my mouth it really was it was it was gorgeous I'm looking forward to some more now over the next few weeks if we just get a bit of sunshine so that the tomatoes will ripen up and go nice and uh, red 0818103103 when I was talking about letters of a country postman by John B. Keane uh, Jim says Patricia did you ever hear about the postman who went into the farmer's yard. It was on a frosty morning. The dog ran over to him and to frighten the dog away, he went down to pick up a stone to toss at him. But when he bent down to pick up the stone, it was frozen and it was stuck. Uh, He seemingly said, isn't it a fright to God when the dogs are loose and the stones are tied down? (laughs) <laughs> Never heard that story before, Jim, but it sounds like something that John B. Keane would certainly have written about. Thank you for your call. And then somebody else was picking up when I mentioned the Legion. Did I mention the Legion Mayor? I did. The Legion Mary and Skibbereen are hosting a mass for the t- deceased. Somebody says, I didn't even know that the Legion of Mary still exist. Well, they obviously do in West Cork. They certainly do in Skibbereen. I don't know if there's if the Legion Mary exists in many other parishes, but it certainly does in West Cork. And actually talking of parishes and dioceses, now parishes and dioceses are going to change into the future. Francis Duffy, he's the Archbishop of Tume. He was speaking yesterday in Westport and he spoke, speaking to the parishioners, he said to them, look at their priests, priests, because they're likely to be the last generation of priests that people will ever see resident in their parish. He said all of the figures from the men who are entering in the priesthood down to the numbers of people that are turning up every Sunday at Mass are all pointing to a dramatic decline in the church. He said all trends are dramatically downwards and he said there's no turning point in sight. So he says, I suggest you look at your priest. He may be the last in a long, long line of resident priests and he may not be replaced. He said, I suggest you look at your church. You might be lucky to have a Sunday Mass. But he said, for how much longer will you be lucky to have a a Sunday Mass in your local church? He then went on to suggest that people seem to need to start looking at fellow parishioners while they're sitting at Mass. He said, who among your neighbours will continue to be the new leaders of the church and carry on the pastoral work? Um, alongside a much, much smaller number of clergy. And he said, who amongst you will lead the prayer services and keep the faith alive and um, and active? And then he went on to talk about the numbers. Just nine men entered the seminary last year. And while, the, while only nine went in to train to be priests, only uh, at, while that's going on, a fifth 
of all priests and brothers died in the past three years or actually their figures coming from the Association of Catholic Priests who say in 2004 there was 3,141 priests in Ireland. Now that has been in steady decline over the past uh, 10 years and if you look to where we are today uh, nearly 20 years on that current figure is below 2,000 it's about 1,900 and many of those 1,900 are very very elderly priests who should have long ago uh, retired the number of men interested in becoming priests is dwindling year on year 13 started on the path to priesthood in 2020 there was 15 the previous year and there were 17 in 2018 the Archbishop uh, Archbishop Francis Duffy urged people though not to lose faith he said the landscape of the Catholic Church in Ireland has been changing for some time and he said he will continue to do so for the for, for the uh, foreseeable uh, future and then you know he went on to talk about the elderly clergy and the number of clergy that are available uh, to people so that's going to lessen the frequency at mass and you've got priests now who are looking after more than one parish not even more than one church they've got they've got you know, they're amalgamating and we've seen that we've certainly seen that here in cork the amalgamation of um parishes uh, but he's saying if you if you if you are a regular mass goer look to the, look at your priest when when he retires, there may not be anyone to replace him. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just a quick text in from a listener to say, Hi Patricia, I'm doing a clean out of my farm in the North Cork area. I want to know where I can take old car batteries, old paint, farm medicines and old burnt oil. Where I can take them uh, in the county. I would suggest that you get onto your civic amenity uh, site. I don't know where in North Cork you are, but there's a number of civic amenity sites. If you just Google civic civic amenity sites, you'll find your nearest one. Certainly the old paint can be taken in there. Feeling they do car batteries as well. They do a lot. They take such a wide variety. We have wonderful, wonderful civic amenity sites run by Cork County Council and the staff that work at civic amenity sites. I'm always singing their praises whenever I need to go there. They are so friendly and so helpful. But I'd suggest either go on to the, just Google civic, civic amenity sites to find out which is the nearest one uh, to you. But they'll give the full list of items that they take. So they don't want you going out there and then they, they'll only take uh, certain items from you but they should be able to look after most of the items that you've mentioned there thanks for your text to 0862 103 103 we are continuing with our chat about problem gambling and uh, Joe Heffernan uh, joins me good afternoon to you Joe good afternoon Patricia you're welcome and I, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be joining us on the programme I saw somebody sent in a message Noel on Twitter at C103 Cork says gambling addiction is a real real problem with particularly with young people sporting organisations don't do enough to outlaw or at least speak out about the dangers of online uh, gambling it's great that you're highlighting it on your programme now we spoke about gambling last week and how it's increasing unfortunately and particularly we saw an increase during the pandemic. But today we want to focus on somebody who is living with a problem gambler, Joe. Yeah, because um, most, well, I suppose, no, the, all addictions affect um, 
others, uh, loved ones, family members, etc., friends. Um, it's like if you throw a stone, I suppose, into um, a, a still pool and the ripples go out and the ripples get bigger and bigger and more people get affected. So, yeah, and... Um, <coughs> Excuse me. We were going to talk a little bit about, you know, um, maybe what to look out for. Um, for example, um, uh, problem gamblers are going to be very secretive about the whole issue of gambling. And um, some of that can um, be manifest in um, being very secret about or secretive about online, gam- uh, uh, online usage. Um, for example... Um, if a person uh, always um, or regularly goes to another room um, to uh, look up, as it were, something online, um, you know, now there might be many reasons, but one of them that one could consider, if they have considered maybe a gambling problem, that that would be um, a typical thing. Um you know, because they don't, they don't be, want to share what they're doing openly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, bedroom with the door closed, kind of thing. Um, uh, people who have a gambling problem um, will be more than likely very evasive um, about money issues. Um, you know, maybe not sharing the um, the credit card. Um, uh, information, um, uh, maybe not sharing about the, uh, the the bank balance and all of that, being evasive about money issues, and um, and and if there's a question then about um, what about this there or um, you know where where did that money go, um, uh, will will tell a lie. Uh, about the amounts invested in gambling. It's like the guy who says, or the, 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 the woman who says, the guy who says, here, I like to have my couple of points, but, like, it's excessive. Or the woman who says, I like a glass of wine with dinner, but it's excessive. Um, so I suppose the word we talk about there would be minimising. Um, and as we said last week, um you know, a person into the gambling will talk about the wins. Um, you know, like, there you are now. That covers that bill. Isn't that wonderful? And it is, yeah, okay. But will not talk about the losses. Mm. And the losses inevitably and eventually um, will outstrip the winnings because the house always wins. Um you know, uh, the only way to make money, I suppose, with um, <laughs> with the gambling uh, 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 firms, uh, all of them, like um, I don't know, the the most the most well known one, I suppose, in this country, anyway, would be Paddy Power, would be buying shares in them because the um, the uh, the the win the winnings will increase. Although I saw on the front page of the was it the business section of last Sunday Sunday Independent that um, the the parent company for Paddy Power um, 
flutter entertainment, or I think that's it, um, are, are talking about uh, redundancies and letting people go. I suppose it'll be like everything else, like the banks. Um, you know, they'll be pushing people towards um, uh, online, uh, you know. The next thing we'll hear, I suppose, will be that um, the bookies' offices here and there are for sale. Uh, they don't want to be employing people and people coming in to meet other people. They, I mean, behind so it the counter. Reduces, yeah, it reduces their costs. I was reading an account, it was up on uh, social media a couple of weeks ago, of a woman that was, was in America who, this ties in with when you're talking about the secrecy side of it, she actually started to think that her husband was having an affair because he was being so secretive and doing exactly what you were saying, you know, constantly going out of the room to check his phone and, you know, she thought he was texting somebody and it was he was very moody and, and you know, it was just unexplained absences. He was with drawing any time that they had a social event he always had an excuse not to go and mm. she genuinely thought that the man was having an affair and then she discovered unfortunately as she said too late that he was addicted to gambling and they ended up lo- losing their home or whatever but she actually made the point that she would have preferred if he was having an affair because the devastation that his gambling caused not just her but her children and his parents and that ripple effect that you talk about it's it's the one thing of all of the addictions is the effect it has on so many people. Absolutely, and especially on finances. I mean, a person can only drink so much, um, and it will be obvious long before they are, at, as we will say, in, a, in, a, in an extremely bad state from it. But, um, yeah, I mean, spending excessive time online and, um, you know, suddenly dashing out the door, um, a realization that such a you know such a bet is available and um maybe heading for the the, the bookies that um uh you know spending time out from home um without any kind of rational reasonable um uh, reason given for the the absence you know Okay, so so if somebody is identifying with all of this and and they know that they're living with somebody who is who is problem uh, gambling, wh- where do they go for help? What do you suggest they do? Well, um, to inform oneself about um, uh, compulsive uh, gambling, um, for example, this very program, um, you know, we're talking about uh, things to look out for, uh, things that could suggest. Um, that there is that problem. Um, Now, if the person ever mentions gambling, to listen very carefully and to kind of um, to to draw out the the conversation, um, uh, to allow the person room to talk if they want to talk, because that would be um, sign and step number one that uh, that the person is maybe ready to do something ab- about the problem. Um, uh, to 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 Google, um, uh, you know, say um, uh, GA Gamblers Anonymous Ireland, um, and um, and see what um, what information there is on that site. Um, uh, 
you know, make a few phone calls to the to the numbers that are given, um, that kind of thing. Um, another thing is that if um, if ordinary socialising uh, has gone uh, to a great degree from the marriage or from the relationship or from the friendship, to kind of maybe mm, uh, try to bring that back, like. Um, how about we went to see yesterday now that film um Elvis and um you know it was a nice afternoon out um uh, was, the, the, mo- was the movie great. good hmm? was the movie uh, good good okay. uh, definitely well worth seeing okay. the the similarity of the lead guy to actually Elvis himself was uncanny i mean it really was like as if Elvis was on the screen. Yeah, himself. yeah, it was that. unbelievable. And um, Tom Hanks was brilliant as uh, what was he, Colonel Tom Parker? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well worth seeing. Okay. <laughs> a little bit long, maybe two and a half hours, but um, well worth seeing. Okay, but you're but you're saying do things like that, do, do like that together. Yeah. Just um, you know, reviving uh, things we used to do that we are no longer doing. And to understand that um, if there's a little breach in the armour of the person who is engaged uh, with the addiction, you know, baby steps, um, not to kind of charge in with, um, uh, in any way, in a blaming way of, oh, so that's where all our money is going. Um, That will not help. But like to understand that the person has a problem and is now beginning to uh, ever so slightly maybe, but refer to the problem. Um, and then um, if the, uh, I mean, there's many a person that simply acknowledged that they had a problem. I've spoken to so many and who would have said, OK, I'm going to go to GA, Gamblers Anonymous meetings, and have been absolutely successful in their recovery. Really, really um, astounding um, uh, recovery. Um, I remember maybe talking before about that book, Tony Ten, yeah. uh, written by Declan uh, Lynch. Yeah, I interviewed him. Hmm? I interviewed yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, you did indeed. You did indeed. I remember talking to uh, Tony O'Reilly at the time and, and saying, you know... Um, that 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 yourself would like to have a word, and and he said no problem at all. Now look at the problem that that man got into. I mean, you know, millions. It's hard to believe, like, but millions finished up, hauled up above in a hotel in Northern Ireland on the run, as it were, um, uh, did time in jail um, for um, uh, money that was stolen from uh, on post, and. Um, uh, I I I remember <laughs> I remember having a bit of a joke at the time with uh, with Declan Lynch uh, uh, who wrote the book with Tony and <laughs> they were up for sports book of the year but sports book of the year was sponsored by on post so I didn't figure that they were going to win yeah <laughs> but um yeah. Yeah, but there you are. There's an example of a wonderful, wonderful recovery from um, a potentially fatal um, illness. 
and uh, Tony now is in 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 addiction counselling. Um, uh, as a counsellor, he he went and used all his uh, experience and uh, history. Um, and he's doing great work helping others. Um, absolutely, he, he really yeah. is. And Gammonon yeah. is there to support people. Gammonon is there to support people. And um, as one person wrote about Gammonon, uh, it was a woman, and she said. Gammonon didn't open the gates of heaven and let me in, but it did open the gates of hell and let me out. Mm. So, um, uh, you know, these um, uh, organisations that meet and that discuss um, uh, a common problem, they do work. Okay. They really, and really that's, do and, work. And that is where we're going to pick it up next week with the 20 questions and is Gammonon for me? So we'll pick it up there next week. In the meantime, yeah. Joe, thank you for that. And uh, have, a, have a lovely week and thanks for joining us. That is Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 086-834-8145. Let me quickly wrap up with some of your questions and comments coming in. Hi, Patricia. When you mentioned the PSO uh, levy, what about standing charge? Are there different standing charges between uh, companies that provide the different electricity providers? Standing charges are a combination of the fixed charges associated with providing the electricity and the gas and a share of supply costs and servicing your account. And they do vary uh, by suppliers. You need to check with each individual supplier as to what their standing charges are. Hi, uh, Patricia. The Legion of Mary that I mentioned when somebody said they didn't know the Legion of Mary was still there when I was calling it out in the community diary. Somebody says, yeah, Patricia, the Legion of Mary exists all over the world. I know because I volunteer with them. That's from Mary in uh, Skibbereen, who also agrees with me that there's nothing like the tomatoes that you grow yourself. Thank you for that, Mary. When the church had plenty of priests, they didn't want women only for the cleaning jobs, etc. Still, we have no female priests will be fine. We can all say our prayers at home no matter what happens and no matter if there are priests available or not. The Vatican won't change. They will only dictate. And yeah, when I was talking about the problems here in Ireland, it isn't just in Ireland. Of course, that is a worldwide problem with the fall off in invocations. Will it change? Will we see female priests? I don't know. Only time will tell. And Michael said, seeing as you're on about lack of priests, I see the list of changes in parishes in the Cork and Ross diocese have gone up on their website. It includes now the new families of parishes. A lot of change for both priests and people, says uh, Michael. And I went online to have a quick uh, look at it. Yeah, if people want it, if you want to, uh, corkandross.org. You'll see all of the different changes that have co- are, are coming in and that's what they're doing. They're grouping together and they're calling them a family of parishes and they're grouping all of them together. Like, for example, one of the family of parishes I see will be Balancholic, Balinora, Ovens and Farron. They will all go in together and then they'll share all the priests between them. And that's the way it's right across Cork and Ross, Ballyfahan, the Loch and Toker. That's another group a family of parishes. There's one then for Bandon and his scheme 
Inishannon, Knockaviland, Kilbritton, Kilmurray, Murrah and Templemart. Goodness, that's a huge, huge gathering of parishes all getting together. And that's the way it would be. And that's certainly the way it would be going forward. Somebody says, Patricia, who was the winner of your competition for John B. Keane? It was Catherine Guiney, Knockraha in Glenmire. And yes, we are doing it all over again tomorrow. We'll have more of those tickets uh, to give away tomorrow and more dinners to give away. And we'll be doing it uh, every day this uh, week. That's where I have to wrap it up for today. Day, I think I've gone through. Thank you to everybody who sent in texts and WhatsApps. We had a very, very busy program. My apologies if I didn't get around to all your texts and calls today. Well, we will take a look at them and maybe get to some of them tomorrow. But that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is back from his holidays, looking nice, relaxed, and refreshed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Ten into the night, Patricia Messenger. Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.